0: When the pandemic shut down Hollywood, many craftspeople in the industry came to the realization that their livelihood was 100% dependent on other people having work for them. And I too had this realization that in order to support my family, someone had to hire me for their next project. In short, I had no way to support myself with my own projects. And as we discussed in today's episode, this acute realization originally came to me one fateful night when I was putting my kids to bed via FaceTime for the one. Thousandth time in a row. Now, I knew that I did not want to continue simply trading hours for dollars. I wanted to have freedom to say yes to projects that fulfilled me and no to projects that weren't a good fit, or even worse, that I knew were going to be a surefire path to burnout, something I've experienced many, many times in my career. Now, this may sound like a pipe dream to many people, but it's not only possible to build a side hustle over time that can help to support you and fill the gap during the lean times, but it might also be absolutely essential given the changing landscape of the entertainment industry today. My guest today also had this realization, but he had it at the early age of 21 years old. Alex Ferrari, the founder of Indie Film Hustle, is an author, a blogger, a speaker, a serial entrepreneur, a consultant, and he's also the host of the number one filmmaking podcast on iTunes, the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. And he's also an award-winning writer-director with 25 years of experience in the film industry. He has been quote-unquote side hustling since he was 12, and he today is going to be sharing his decades of experience to help you gain financial freedom while pursuing your filmmaking dreams. Now listen, I used to think that I was productive, but after chatting with Alex and seeing everything that he has accomplished over his career, I've realized there is a whole lot more that can be squeezed out of the 24 hours that we all have available to us every single day. Told through his amazingly animated storytelling style, which I know you are going to fall in love with, this episode is wildly entertaining while simultaneously delivering sage advice from one of the great online business entrepreneurs in the film industry today. Okay, without further ado, my conversation with editor and entrepreneur Alex Ferrari. I'm here today with Alex Ferrari, who is the founder of Indie Film Hustle. You're also an author, a speaker, a film director of 25 years, uh, an editor, a colorist. I mean, I'm pretty confident that if I were to go through all the hyphenates about you and what you've accomplished, that it would take up half my episode. And by the way, your mere existence makes me feel like I'm doing nothing with my life. (laughs) On that note, welcome. Mr. Alex Ferrari to the show. This is going to be a pleasure. We're going to have a lot of fun today.
1: I appreciate that, man. Thank you so much for that, that amazing intro. I I always consider myself a slacker. So uh, that makes me feel better. So thank you.
0: Well, the the funny thing is the reason that you and I uh, originally connected is I was doing some research in the podcasting space. People that are also catering to filmmakers and creatives just started going through all the various listens of iTunes shows. And I found yours. I'm like, okay, first of all, who is this guy? And secondly, how can we steal his way? Web- website template. Cause this is my perfect website. And I went to my team. I'm like, Oh my God, copy this guy's theme. How do we do this? Oh maybe I should reach out to him and say hello, We connected, and I think we both feel the same way. like how did we not meet each other twenty years ago
1: yeah, oh, absolutely there's no it's it's, it's insane it 's insane, and by the way, you could try to steal the template, but the template is a, an original creation by me so uh, but you you try, which i was
0: up. I was also very impressed by that because <laughs> you, you clearly know what you 're doing, you know how to to message your audience, you clearly have the entrepreneur mind. But at the same time, you've also been a technician and a craftsman for many, many years. And that's really the topic of conversation today. Since the beginning of the pandemic, many, many months ago, so many people have come to me with the realization, oh my God, my entire livelihood, all of my income is dependent on other people having work for me. I have no control over having income. I have no control over my own projects and I'm terrified. And when they start to go down the rabbit hole of, well, what could I possibly do? Or how could I be an entrepreneur? What does it even mean? Like, what do you mean I'm a business owner? I'm quote unquote, just an editor. People don't realize that as craftsmen, we are also business owners. We are the CEO of a business of one. And we don't realize that in order to generate multiple income streams and different forms of revenue, no matter if the job market is good or it has been what it has been, we need to take more control over that. And you are the master of, I don't even know where you put all the hats that you wear. You must have like a wing to your house <laughs> where you hang all of the different hats because you've done so many things, so much so that I'm convinced that you have uh, you have t- twin brothers. So I think I, that there's, I actually, there's an Alex Ferrari, an Adam Ferrari, maybe an Aloysius Ferrari. I'm not really Aloysius. sure. I don't even know where that came from. Um, <laughs> but you do a lot of different stuff and I want to crawl into your brain to understand how you do it and why you do it for the people that have realized there's more that I want to do than just cut other people's stuff. So where does this story start?
1: Well, I'm going to go back to the, the first time I came to the realization that a lot of people are having right now. I was 21 years old and I was working on my first job where I was a tape vault uh, editor. Uh, And I was also the tape vault guy. I also edited commercial reels for, uh, I was in a commercial production house in Miami and I would edit on three quarter inch uh, decks. Uh, we'll with we'll the, with put a the,
0: hyperlink to Wikipedia and Google about what a three-quarter <laughs> inch deck is for all the millennials. And a
1: Sony and a Sony controller in between. So oh I my could goodness! Uh, yes, yeah, so I was, and that's how I used to cut. Uh, how we used to cut um these reels. So I was doing that, and I was also the Apple technician of the entire company. So I would actually go around, and every single time someone kicked an Apple Talk cable out all the network would shut down. So I would have to go on down <laughs> and connect the Apple Talk tables. Apple
0: Talk, that's old school, wow. Oh
1: yeah, I'm, I'm old, sir. Um, so, <laughs> so I was sitting there playing, I'm gonna go old again. I was playing Doom <laughs> on our connected Apple Talk computers one day. And I was about like five, three months, five five months into the job. And I just came to the realization that I'm like, you know, something just hit me. Like if I get fired tomorrow, I'm stuck paing again. I got to learn something. And that was the first time I realized that I wasn't in control. So I then got my skill set up to become a freelance editor. And then I jumped and within, I think, eight months of when I got that job, I quit and became a freelance editor. And that was my first real, you know, my first real business. You know, I, I incorporated myself and and did the whole ball of wax and I was that business of one. And there is a when you're freelancing, there is an illusion of control, which is extremely important for people listening to understand. When you're a freelancer and you're, all your income and all your revenue is reliant on the next gig, the next job, the next client, you as a, as a freelancer, you kind of think that you are, you're driving the ship you're driving the car if you will but the problem is without the clients there's no gas in the car and then when the and when the gas doesn't show up the car doesn't move but yet you feel like you're at, because it's your car and you're driving but when you're working with someone else's car someone else's company you're they're driving the car and you're just a passenger so you feel like you have less control so it's a an illusion so i always started to figure out how can i generate other revenue streams that I can use or create multiple revenue streams, even within the freelance world, to survive. And for me, uh, and I, we talked about this when you were on my show, when I started, I was an editor. I was a commercial editor. Then I jumped, and, and I don't know if, I don't know how, I think you, we're not similar vintages, but we're, we're close, if I'm not mistaken. We're pretty close. All right, we're pretty close, because you look fantastic, So I have to say. I
0: appreciate that. Uh,
1: <laughs> so, um, when I first, when you first started, like back in the '90s and early 2000s, you could be just a commercial editor. Like that could be the only thing you did. Or I only cut music videos. Or I only cut TV promos. And you could specialize in a specific uh, subgenre of editing. Then, so I started off as commercial editor. Then I went into promos, and then I started doing all the all that kind of stuff. Then I went into short films and, and narrative and things like that. But I started realizing that when Final Cut Pro showed up. Uh, I was an avid editor. When Final Cut Pro showed up, everybody became an editor all of a sudden. And now my value in the marketplace started dropping. So I realized right away that I'm like, I got to venture out into other avenues in post-production. So then I became not only an editor of every kind of documentary to anything I could get my hands on, but then I started doing color then I started doing online editorial. Then I started doing poo supervision. Then I started doing VFX supervision. Then I also did some VFX. Then I also did graphics. And, and then at that point, I had multiple opportunities for revenue that still gave me somewhat more control and kept me alive and kept me fed for quite some time, but still was reliant on that client on that next gig. So only, only within the last five years where I finally retired from post-production, and and I direct when I want to direct. When the directing gigs come up, I, I, I do them. But uh, I retired and opened up Indie Film Hustle and started really creating a real business uh, on how to... Uh, revenue streams that kept coming in that support me and my family. And I live in Los Angeles like yourself. So you you know as well as I do, it ain't cheap. It ain't cheap. (laughs) It ain't cheap here, brother. It ain't cheap. You know, we could be living like kings other places in the country, but yet we choose to be here. Why? That's another question. We can have a conversation about that too. But um, so my online business that I created has been able to support me and my family living here in Los Angeles uh, and now's been turned and now i i think three years ago completely retired shut down my post production company uh, reject offers of, of work and have been and I just forwarded over to other friends or other colleagues to get the work uh, because I just decided that 's it now i 'm I'm good i 'm good I've, I've, I've found where I want to be and i can 't explain to you and i 'm sure you know this feeling as well waking up in the morning and finding that not only have you helped hundreds, maybe even thousands of people around the world that night by them consuming your content, but that there's money sitting in your bank account while you were sleeping or while you went walking or when you went on vacation. And it doesn't rely on your hours for dollars situation. It is game-changing. It is a game-changing concept. And it's so hard for freelancers to kind of grasp that like, that's not, it can't happen to me. It can, it can happen to you. Uh, It's just about work and putting all that kind of stuff together. But I've heard, I've heard the same thing that you have. A lot of, uh, a lot of my colleagues who are directors, like DGA directors and, you know, guys who have really plush jobs, you know, when the pandemic hit, it went zero quick. And that's something you just don't, you can't prepare for once in a hundred year pandemic, but it happened. And now they're just like, oh God. So that's why there's so many podcasts now popping up. That's why there's so many new online courses that I've been seeing all these master classes by guys. And a lot of these people are trying to do that, but they don't understand the basics. They don't understand the foundations of how to actually launch a business as opposed to launching either a product or a, one service. You've got to build an entire Situation. Uh, and that's how I've been able to do it. But it's a scary time, but I think it's a very exciting time because there's a lot of potential for people.
0: Yeah. And I think that well, one of the things that people miss, and we can go into the nuances of all this later, but I want to at least kind of touch upon this. So many people doing the podcast, so many people trying the online courses, not understanding the fundamentals. And to me, the fundamental thing that I love about what I do now so much, there's two fundamental things. And I'm sure you can relate to both of these. One of which, like you said, you get to passively provide value to so many people. And we have a business model where of all the free value we put out into the world, if 99% of those people say, I'm good, I'm just gonna take all your free stuff and just 1% decide, you know what, I like this guy. I wanna go a little bit deeper down the rabbit hole and really invest my time in my education. The 1% supports our business, which then allows us to grow and provide more value to the other 99%. That's the first thing that I love. The other thing that I love about it even more that I think applies to people that maybe aren't at the point yet where they're going to make this plunge is that it gives me the freedom to confidently say no to things that I don't want to do. And that to me is so paramount. As you said, now you can just be nope, sorry, not available, not interested. There are opportunities that have come to me over the last few years that in the past I would have said, oh God, I mean, yeah, I guess it's a good opportunity, but I'd be miserable, but I've got no choice. Like, I got to do it. I got to take it. And then I do and it totally burns me out. And thank God it did because if I hadn't gone through the burnout, I wouldn't have this program. But at the same time, I don't want to repeat that cycle. So now I'm in a position where I can confidently say no to things that don't fit me. Right? That 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 the power of saying no is so, so important. So I want I want to go back to this person that's had this realization. And they realize I can't work for other people. So obviously the, the solution is I've got two options. Either I can edit other people's films or color other people's films or I'm going to be my own filmmaker. So I'm going to make a short or I'm going to make an indie feature and I'm going to put all my money into it and I'm going to get my dentist to invest in it. And uh, the only option I have is I got to get it into Sundance and then somebody's going to give me a big check full of money and then my problems are solved. And if this were a video podcast, the, your face says all of it. <laughs> but those are my only two options, right? Either I'm a technician and a craft person or I just go out to make my thing and put all my eggs in one basket. And fingers crossed, distributor picks it up and I get my money. Right, that's all I've got. Well, what other options could I possibly have? I'm, it's,
1: I'm like the the, the, the the anger that's rising up in me as you say these words. I thought this it's, might it's, trigger you. Oh my God, it's just like oh, God, I hear this every day. Um, where do you want me to start, sir? Because there's so much to unpack
0: there. How how what what where do you want me to start? I think what we need people to understand is the concept that you have coined of the film entrepreneur understanding that the game has completely changed for anyone that wants to build their own revenue streams and be their own artist, whether it is doing online business, whether it is being a podcaster, or I think more commonly for people listening to this, people that want to tell their own stories, but they think it's all or nothing and it's taking such a huge risk. Either I get my $5 million and I get into Sundance or I just keep being an editor the rest of my life. There's got to be an in-between, right? Well, yeah, that's, it's, called, it's, it's essentially uh, either I win the lottery, or I just keep working the rest of my life at, at,
1: at a medial job that I hate. Like you, you can't live life that black and white. There is a lot of gray in the, in the middle, and there's also different different definitions of success. So a lot of filmmakers or a lot of people getting into the filmmaking game consider success being a millionaire, living in the Hollywood Hills, doing whatever you want, hanging out with actors and actresses and, and you know, flying to Sundance and Cannes. And, and, and that's all wonderful. But that is a very, very, very small group of people in our industry that get to live that kind of lifestyle. I'm talking, you know, a few thousand people. As opposed to millions and millions of people, uh, tens of millions of people who are trying to actively be part of our industry. So, if you only look at that kind of, that's the only form of success, then you will fail because the odds are against you. It's like it's like the only way I'm ever going to be happy is I win the lottery because it's essentially the odds of 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 getting to that level and and rolling that deep. You know, is it, it's about winning a lottery. Can it happen? Of course, but you could also win the lottery. But the chances are you of winning that lottery is uh, very, very minimal. Now, the problem I see with that mentality is I'm not telling you not to chase that dream. I'm not telling you that you can't get there. I'm just, the way I I approach it is just be smart about how you're doing it. I still want to direct a Marvel film. I, that has not left my, you know, I still want to go over to, to Kevin Fahey's office, by the way, if you're listening, Kevin, I'm, I'm available. Um, you know, go over and, and, and have that conversation about doing the next Avengers, doing the next new comic book hero that's coming out from Marvel. Um, I want to have that. But as opposed to sitting angry and bitter on the sideline because things aren't happening the way I want to, I've decided to build my own pathway and, 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 and blaze my own trail. So, but I'm still going in the same direction as a lot of other people are trying to go to. And if I don't ever get there, I'm good. I've supported myself all the way through. I've, been, I've built my own community. I've built my own life and my lifestyle. And, and when that opportunity, if it ever comes, I'll be ready for it. But if it doesn't, I'm cool. Maybe I won't get to do a, a Marvel movie. Chances are I won't. Because we're talking about what? 30, 40 directors? period in the next 10 years that might get a chance to do something like that. You know, it's, it's actually probably a lot less. I was going to say it's
0: probably like five.
1: Well, I mean, you're talking what new directors, because they're going to rehash, you know, they're going to use James Gunn again. They're going to use the Russo brothers. Five
0: or 10 slots for new people that they're going to give a try that haven't done it before.
1: Probably over the next five or 10 years. Let's say, let's say, let's be, let's be a little bit, uh, you know, open. Let's say 20. So there's 20 slots to run the next 10 years of Marvel movie somewhere. Um, I mean, seriously, look at the numbers. I mean, that's a really tough, tough thing to do. Can it happen yet? It happens for 20 people, but the majority of people won't get there. So as opposed to, Putting all my eggs in that basket. I'm building up my own path. And as a film entrepreneur, what I've suggested in my book, uh, Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, is that filmmakers need to start thinking of making money outside of the traditional model, outside of traditional distribution. And we can go into the nuances of post-COVID, current-COVID scenarios as far as distribution is concerned. But even pre-COVID. The the industry was failing already. It's never been built for independent filmmakers, as you are very well aware. It's not built for, for us to make money, it's built for them to make money. It is built for them to essentially screw us over. That's the way those contracts are set up. That's the way the system is set up. It is just, just the way it's been since the day of Chaplin. It's just the way it is. So understanding the rules, understanding those rules, you're like, well, wait a minute. Let me see what I can do to start generating revenue outside of. Just the exploitation of films, and that's where you start creating product lines products, you know services that are all dedicated to a specific niche and that's what all filmmakers I think moving forward are is, moving forward need to understand the niche need to understand the person they're making their content for the audience that they're trying to reach because if they're going to do a broad spectrum action or broad spectrum, comedy, unless you've got major stars involved, and that's still not even a guarantee anymore, you're going to fail. And the value of of our content is becoming cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and cheaper to the point where it's becoming worthless. If you put a movie up on Amazon right now, you get a penny per hour streamed. That is as close to worthless as possible. And I promise you probably in the next two years, Amazon will figure out a way to give you a fraction of a penny because that's the way they're going to do it. Because they don't want your movie. They don't want riffraff anymore. They only want high quality content because they're, they're, their whole system is just polluted with a lot of crap uh, because they let everybody in. So best case scenario, we're talking like the top 90 point percent in Amazon makes $0.12 a stream. We're still talking about $0.12, which used to be $3.99 as a rental or $20 for a purchase of a DVD or Blu-ray or even $10 as a streaming TVOD purchase. That's now gotten to $0.12 in the best possible case scenario or a penny. So the the value is not there anymore. The the value to our content is not there anymore. So filmmakers who are making three, four, five hundred thousand dollar films, man, they've got to execute not only the movie perfectly, but everything else afterwards perfectly to have a even close to fighting chance of breaking even breaking even. I was literally at AFM, the American film market last year, where I sat with a, with a filmmaker who made a movie for $200,000 and it had a $35,000 MG, which is a minimum guarantee from a distributor. And they were so excited they got the MG. And I turned to them like, what did you give them? They're like, oh, we gave them worldwide rights. I'm like, oh, so you have no other way of making money? Yeah, but it's only for like three years. And then after that, we get the rights back. I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> So you invested two hundred thousand dollars, and your ROI is thirty five thousand dollars, and you're excited about that. What other business in the world does that make sense? It doesn't. So without thinking about the business side of, of filmmaking, you won't make it. And I hope that the the, the method that I laid out in the film entrepreneur kind of helps you along that path.
0: his movement. We found ...to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the Topo Mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash Topo. That's T-O-P-O. The way that I look at it, if you think about the amount of time required to make that $200,000 film... It's more cost effective to just take $165,000, flush it down the toilet. And that only took you five minutes as opposed to two years. So why bother, right? It's, it's a, you might as well use that time and create other value and generate other forms of revenue because you just gave up the 165,000. So let me see if I can find better ways to spend my time.
1: One thing that I hear from filmmakers all the time, because I've had pushback on the film entrepreneur method from oh, filmmakers. I'm sure you have. Because filmmakers don't want to hear this. They don't want to hear this reality. Some filmmakers, and I've had heated conversations about this. Some filmmakers are so, they're so entrenched in their mentality of the old model that it's kind of like almost a political conversation where like, you, no matter what I show you, no matter what I, what, what I if there's video proof that's fake. Like they, they can't break out of their mentality of their beliefs. Because if you do that, then it breaks their ego. It breaks their whole belief system. And they like, wait a minute, if I've been going down the wrong path for the last 10 years, if I believe what Alex is telling me, that means I've, I've made a mistake for the last 10 years. It's very difficult for a human being to accept that. But that is the reality, whether you want to take it or not. they like, I don't want to build a business around my film. I just want to make movies. I'm like, hey, dude, I just want to go and Go on stage with Bon Jovi and rock rock to a hundred thousand people. I'm not even a musician, but I think that would be cool. I would love to do that. But you know what? That's just not the way the world works. It takes a lot of time and effort to get up on that stage. You know, to, decades of work to get to that place where you're able to do that. So just because you want something doesn't mean you have to. That you're going to get it. That that's just the, barely the starting point in this business. But I, but that is something that filmmakers need to kind of break out of that old mentality because if they don't they won't survive in the new in the current and new business the new marketplace that's
0: coming for all of my newer listeners and younger bon listeners i'll make sure to, to also link in the show notes to bon jovi if you're like wait <laughs> what Who, what is he talking about just oh back in my day i want to I wa-
1: I wanted to be on the stage with Taylor Swift. How about that? There you go. With Lady there you go. Gaga. There you okay, go. Okay, good, good, good. I want to um, I I do, do a duet with Lady Gaga a la, a la Bradley Cooper. Okay, there That's you what go. I like
0: love it, love it. Okay, so I just want to make sure that I'm, I'm speaking to the, you know, the entire audience here. Um, <laughs> so before getting into the many nuances of how to generate revenue, because there are a lot of different ways to do this, I think the, the first area to dive into a little bit deeper, which I know is part of what you do, is there's going to be the psychological barrier. There's this fear, like you said, the fear is, well, either I'm going to make a living as an editor or a colorist or a writer, whatever it is, or I have to jump all in and I've got to go the the old school route of borrowing money and making this thing and hoping that I get some of it back. But I'm too afraid to do that because I don't see any way to generate revenue. And there are so many psychological barriers to just cutting the cord and saying, I'm not just a technician, I'm now an entrepreneur. Uh, I actually have a a podcast with Ramit Sethi, who I know is somebody that we both know uh, well in the online business space. We talk about the psychology for like 90 minutes, all the deeper fears and limiting beliefs. So if people wanna dive super deep into that, um, I've got a much deeper resource. But before talking about the tactics, let's talk about the psychology of what it means to go from, I'm not just a craftsman, but I'm now an entrepreneur. When people come to you that are uh, newer filmmakers that are still making this transition, and I'm sure you have plenty of them, what are what are some of the pieces of uh, advice that you give and what are some of their fears about saying, I'm gonna try the film entrepreneur method?
1: The, the big thing we have to understand as far as our fear is concerned, and, and, and I'm, I, look, it took me 20 years to make my first feature film where I easily had the capability of doing it a decade earlier. Um, you have to understand what you're dealing with. So the biggest revelation for me is that, and I need everyone prepare themselves for this, but this is, this is a truth that's going to hurt. Your mind does not care about your dreams. Your brain does not care about your dreams. It does not. The only thing your mind is built to do is to keep you it's just to keep you alive. That is what it's designed to do. So instead of worrying about the tiger around the corner, which is what we are generally afraid of, we like uh, stability. We like uh, things that are comfortable. We like things that are known. That's why so many people, what most human beings are afraid of the unknown because the unknown is that tiger around the corner that could eat you. And that's what we generally are afraid of. So anytime something new is brought into your path to go down, especially if it's something deep-seated like your career, your passion, your love, that fear is going to be magnified even that much more. So you're going to be afraid to move forward at all. It took me, again, 20 years before I could break through the fear of making my first film. And there's, I could, we can go into details of you know, I've, I've psychoanalyzed myself and why it took me so long to do so. But if you now that you understand that, you can kind of bring it out from the subconscious. Because by the way, the subconscious is what's driving you, that's what drives everything about you. And there's only about 10%, I think, it's like 10% or like 5% of what we do on a daily basis is conscious. And everything else is basically subconscious. There's someone driving the engine. You don't think about brushing your teeth. You don't think about going to the bathroom. You don't think about driving your car to, to work. That's all kind of programmed uh, movements that, you know, I'm. Mean, how many times have you guys been driving and you're like, how did I get here? Because <laughs> your mind was completely somewhere else. Someone else was driving the car. That is your subconscious. So when it comes to our dreams, uh, the subconscious is also driving our reactions, what we accept, what we don't accept, if it's new, if it's not new. So you have to be extremely self-aware when something new is presented. And I'm, I'm throwing new ideas all the time. And trust me, I'm, I still deal with the fears. I'm like, oh, I don't... I don't know. I don't. I don't want to get on camera. Uh, I don't like being on camera. Like that was. It took me forever to get in front of it. Took me like two years. I was like, I just want to hide behind this mic as a podcaster. I don't want to. I don't want to put myself out there as a YouTuber. Um, but it took me a while before I became comfortable with myself on screen. But that took forever. It took me forever to start an email list. You know, because it's like, oh, I don't know. It's because I don't want to do it. It's all the same subconscious fears. So that fear is your worst enemy in many, many ways. It could be your best friend too, but most of the time it is there to protect you. So if you're aware of that, then you can move forward. So if you have resistance of a new idea, you have to ask yourself, why am I resisting this? Is it because it's the unknown? Is it because it's new? Is it because I'm risking failure? Is it because I'm risking humiliation? All of those things. Um, That is something that you need. These are questions you need to ask yourself when you're trying to attempt something new or a new idea is presented to you. As you get older, you go one of two ways. You either go really entrenched into what you believe, and then you are completely shut out and generally means that you don't grow. You just don't grow. Um, or you become more open because hopefully you become more comfortable with who you are. Because a lot of those insecurities that when you were you know, growing up, teenagers, 20s, 30s, a lot of those insecurities start to wear away. Where before you were completely terrified about doing things. Now you're just more comfortable. As, as you get older, generally speaking, you give less of a crap about what other people think. That's just age. You know How many times have you seen that 80-year-old... Going out to pick up his uh, his his newspaper. Sorry again. Google what a newspaper is. Um, <laughs> or go out to pick up his Amazon box in his underwear. Uh, you know, with his gut hanging out and you know without his shirt on. And he doesn't care. He doesn't care at all about what you think. And that's what happens. Hopefully, and could way not in that way, but in a good way where you start giving you start becoming much more comfortable with who you are and that will hopefully open up more doors and more possibilities for
0: you. Yeah, and that, that's something that I see in my coaching and mentorship program all the time where people don't realize the fears that are really driving them to make the choices that they do. And it might not be so much about um, becoming an entrepreneur, at least with the, the crass people that I work with, but it's always the same conversation. I've been doing this one thing for so long. I don't like doing it anymore, but I don't know how to go anywhere else. Right. So the question they ask is, can you help me workshop my resume? okay. And in my mind, I'm thinking, that's not the question to ask. Well, let's go down this rabbit hole. Sure. I'll workshop your resume. I, it's like clockwork. Give me 10 minutes and five questions. And it always ends with the same thing. Oh my God, I have no idea what I want to do with my life. And I have no idea. Oh, I'm just, it's, wait, hold on. I'm afraid. It's always, there's always some fear, but they think that it's about the font in their resume or these bullet points. So need it's to always change. fear. It's always It's, it's always fear. And what I have found, especially if we're talking about this idea of maybe I want to pursue my entrepreneurial dreams or I just want to make my calling card short film or I want to start a course or a podcast. What I found is that, again, going back to this concept of all or nothing, either it's all in on editing or coloring or whatever my craft is, or I'm going to be a filmmaker. Well, that's a giant leap. There's this middle ground in between where you can do both and you can gradually Imagine. and slowly shift, which is what the film entrepreneur is all about to like, for me, like, for example, with my journey, as we talked about on your show as well, I had the realization at 35, you had it at 21, you have got a huge head start. For me, it was at 35 where I was working on season one of Empire and I realized this is it, like whatever they have to offer me is what I take because I've only been paid as an editor my entire adult life. So now what? And that just scared the crap out of me. And I was at a great place in my career, but I realized how reliant I was on others. But it wasn't, I'm just gonna, you know, hang up my hat. I'm not editing anymore. Now I'm an entrepreneur. You slowly balance it so you can ease your way into it. But with the old model, you can't because you're not generating any revenue whatsoever. But with the newer models, you can slowly pick and choose and you can eliminate a lot of that fear by doing it in tiny, small, bite-sized chunks. So you get the sense of oh I can generate a little bit of money doing this and a little bit more and for me I've made the transition where now Cobra Kai is my side hustle I do that you know for fun on the side but that's the reality what I do for now uh, as a podcaster and a coach and an educator that is what I do for a living so to speak but I still love editing and I love Cobra Kai because it's badass. So that's my side hustle that I fit in, but it's taken years of making that transition one small bite at a time. And with the film entrepreneur method and the tactics and strategies, you can do it in much smaller bites. So let's start to break this down so I can alleviate some of those fears and generate some revenue, not that it changes my life, but I get the sense that, you know what? I can make this happen if I build a plan. So for me, it was,
1: I mean, my goal since I decided to go into this business was to be a film director like that that that's never changed in my entire path i just knew instinctively and this no one told me this i didn't read this anywhere instinctively i understood that well i need to make a living while i'm chasing the directing dream and post-production was my living and I, and that and it was a wonderful a wonderful place to make my bones, make my and, and generate revenue because I was adding skill sets to my 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 toolbox and you know and then when I became a director, I now could bring post and bid myself out as a director with post and all of these things that I was able to do. But you know, there's something called a side hustle. You know, you you, you like you just said, you don't have to go all in. Like I'm not saying hey, quit your job and start a business tomorrow. That's stupid. If you've got a revenue stream right now and it's something you're not happy with, start working on the other stuff. And I hear this all the time. Oh, but Alex, I don't have time. That is BS. If I've got time to do everything that I do, I promise you, you've got time to do what you need to do. There's an hour here. Wake up an hour earlier. Go to bed an hour later. There's always a time. Don't watch that, the next episode of whatever show you're watching and take that hour and build, it, put it towards you know, something that's going to, Help you gain more freedom. At the end of this entire conversation, our goal is freedom. It's freedom. It's freedom. Whatever that definition is to you, it's freedom. Money gives you, allows you to have freedom. If you have a lot of revenue coming in, you are free to do other things. You are free to go to Cobra Kai, which by the way, congratulations
0: on season four. Um
1: <laughs> Thank you, uh, I, can't, I'm, I can't wait to see the next
0: seasons, by the way. I can't um, wait for everybody to see season three. It's killing me right now. So i all oh, I could only
1: imagine. Like, who can I talk to? I can only talk to other people. I can't even tell my
0: son what happens. It's
1: killing me. All <laughs> right. It's insane. Um, so I've been the king of side hustles since I was 12. So I my my first entrepreneurial experience was garage sales. So I just figured out like hey, garage sales is a good side hustle, man. And I was at 12 years old making 100 bucks a weekend selling crap, my old toys, my old stuff. And when I ran out of merch, then I would go to my family. I'm like, "Hey, do you got stuff you don't want to you want to get rid of?" And I would just I was a junk collector. And I would put it out <laughs> there and people would buy it. And I was the only dude in school rolling around, you know, hundred deep. <laughs> All the time, I was in a good neighborhood, thank God. Um, but <laughs> but I was always I was always able to buy my garbage pail kids. Again, another Wikipedia. Oh yeah,
0: Wikipedia. man, well, I'm gonna have a whole laundry list of these references.
1: <laughs> so you know, baseball cards, comic books, all those things, I was able to buy those things. Uh, and then also do arbitrage with them as well. I would buy them sh- cheap, sell them more expensive and so on. I was already doing all this and it was really, truly instinctual. There was no education about it. I only had my grandfather as an example and he didn't do any of the stuff I did, uh, but he was an, He was a businessman as well, had businesses and things like that. But a lot of the stuff I just started figuring out myself. So if Even as as, as an editor, I always had the side hustle of making a little bit of money here, doing something there like that. I used to sell, again, get more Wikipedia links. Uh, You know, before I moved to LA, I don't don't know if I've told you this story, the the Hollywood video story? Mm -mm, No. Okay. So when I moved to LA, I knew two people here. I literally was showing up with a Final Cut system, rented an apartment. With two rooms, one room was with for my wife and I, who was my girlfriend at the time, and the other room was going to be my edit suite. And I was just going to open up shop and go, guys, I'm here, ready to edit. And uh, that was the plan. But mind you, I'd already had about 15 years of experience. I had a resume. I had you know a website. I had you know IMDb you know credits and things like that. So I wasn't starting from scratch, but I was starting from scratch in L.A. Luckily. Uh, I moved here three months before the the recession hit, uh, and also I had a job when I landed, so I was already editing features and other. I mean, I was I, I worked all that whole year of 08 and 09 comfortably. I just did not stop working, so I was very I was very blessed. But how I got there, this is my this is the way my mind thinks. We're traveling. We have some money saved up. You know, we we didn't. My wife and I were you know younger and we didn't have a whole lot of money in the bank account to move over to LA. It was kind of nuts what we did, honestly, to be truthful. But uh, I decided to go, I, I decided to see that Hollywood Video, which used to be Blockbuster's big rival, they started all going out of business. And people, and the you saw those going out of business signs and people would go in and buy DVDs. And So I had already done a couple of these little smaller side hustles, meaning I would walk in, maybe buy a hundred DVDs and sell them on Amazon. So the very first one I did was probably a year earlier. And I bought a hundred bad titles, like things you never heard of. I'm like, yeah, let me do It cost me like a hundred bucks. I made about 900 bucks off that. So then my wife looked at me. She's like, oh, wait a minute. There's something here. So then we'd start doing, this is a side hustle, side hustle. So then we started doing a whole bunch of these here, there, we've traveled other places, but there was always my Hollywood video on the corner that had not gone out of business yet. The one that literally was around the corner for me. Three weeks before I moved, the going out of business sign goes up and I'm like, babe, I think this is the sign. So I walk in and I say, can I please speak to the manager? And he's like, what can I do for you? I'm like, I need everybody out of the store. And they go, "What do you mean?" He goes, "Because I am buying your entire store." <laughs> and he's like, "Really?" I'm like, "Yes." Do you accept Discover? <laughs> and they said, "Yes, we do." And I bought their entire inventory of about ten thousand DVDs and video games for about twelve thousand dollars. And it was it was it was super gamble, but I knew. Because I have already done my side hustle, so I told my wife, "Look, even if we show up to LA and we, neither you or I get a job for six months, these DVDs and Blu-rays are going to and, and video games are going to pay our bills while we figure it out." And we generated, I think, about 40000 $40, dollars off that that deal. It took us about a year of slowly just selling it all out. And this is at a moment when you could sell DVDs. It was a, the moment in time where DVDs were still being bought and uh, And that was the the hustle. And I actually was so deep into the hustle that I actually went too deep into it because one Christmas, I have to tell this story. This is so great. I'm so proud of this. I figured out that GameStop was selling this video game, some hunting video game for like $15. But on Amazon, it was selling for $45, the lowest price. So what I did is normal people would just buy a bunch of the $12 ones, right? And it was new, new games, not used, new games. And, and, and buy like a whole bunch and take that risk. No, 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 not me. I actually would, I put it up on Amazon and every time there was a sale on Amazon, I would go over to GameStop and pay for it, but then put their address on it. So GameStop would just send them directly. I was literally just doing arbitrage and I was just like, I'm, da- I'm out, I'm out. I don't even have to touch it. So and you I turned was just-
0: GameStop into your fulfillment center. Correct. That is brilliant.
1: So I did that for about seventy, um, about seventy transactions until they shut me off because they kept saying, "Who's this guy who keeps buying all these games?" And then, wait a <laughs> minute, they're going to all these different addresses. Shut them down. Shut them down. <laughs> so, but I was so proud of myself, and I told my wife this, and my wife goes, "What are you doing?" But we made money. It, we're not here to make just money. You could do that in Florida. We're here for you to build your film career. We're here so you can go to the next level. We're not here to sell video games at a GameStop. And it just like shook me to the core because i had been such in the mindset of the hustle and not the good hustle. Because as you can see, I have a hat and a shirt that say hustle on it. But in the, the I got to just keep going to make money and have to. where am I going to get my next dollar from? I wasn't being smart about it. And, I, and that was that mindset. So sometimes you can go too far down the wrong rabbit hole where you can now, hey, I'm making 50, you know, I just made a thousand bucks today. Well, that's great, but that's not, recur- that's not recurring. You're not, tr- you're not really creating any value. You're basically a stockbroker at this point in the game. And it doesn't, it's not fulfilling, it's just cash. And that's great for a little bit here and there, but if you want a long-term game plan you've got to build something with substance something that actually makes you happy so i'm sorry i've gone i've gone way off the oh my the god rails, i love I these stories you the you are <laughs> not allowed
0: to apologize these are fantastic cuz these are the real life stories that people need to better understand and yeah this is crazy and i don't think anybody is going to listen to this and say let me see if there are any video stores let me see if i, pr- I can buy their like, no, trust me you're no, not going to make game, any I, money anymore Ninety more with video stores, but you could still do the arbitrage thing at GameStop. <laughs> you, you, de- you definitely could. But the 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 moral of the story is yes, not go out don't. and do this. The moral of the story is that you found <clears throat> a way to just get started, to just generate some revenue. To it's, it's basically you're you're building the plane while you're flying it. You're not right. saying everything's got to be perfect. I've got all the $20 million in the bank. The investment is there. My salary is paid. Now I can be a filmmaker. Like I'm so tired of that all or nothing mentality. Oh, no, you can't, can't. And for me, and I want to to d- dive more into the, the specific strategies for revenue creation and understanding how a film or your project could not only be a calling card, but also be a business at the same time. But I want to tell one quick story that I know that will resonate with you, specifically resonate with anybody listening, because you're also transitioning into helping people build online businesses, not just for filmmakers, but in general, how to build your own enterprise. And like I said, I was way behind the curve compared to you. I didn't make this realization until 35. The most transformational moment for me was when the first person paid me $97. I got the first email that said someone has just paid $97 for your Move Yourself online course. And I was like, oh my God, this changes the game. $97, it's nothing. Could barely pay my my gas bill. But just emotionally, the shift that I made in my mind was, I can now do this and I'm no longer beholden to other people's projects. And that was the one thread that when I pulled it has led to where I am now. And that's, that's where I feel like people need to focus and that's where they need to start as opposed to all or nothing. I just need to generate something so I feel that emotional trigger I created this from scratch. That's optimize yourself.me slash Q O R 360. So I, I have to tell you a story before
1: we, we get into the film. I love your stuff. stories. Permission right, I granted. Have to, so I was actually an online entrepreneur in 97. Okay, which is Basically, almost the birth of what we know now as the internet. I actually had an online business back then. I had two partners at the time, which were my high school buddies. And we we launched an entertainment website where there was like celebrities and pictures and news articles about the business. And it was just, I knew stuff about this stuff. So I was able to do it. We generated (laughs) from... Banner, I think it was, we were doing CPC banner clicks and uh, you know, CPM ads and things like that. We didn't have any products. There were no products. There was no online product like an online course or anything like that. That, that. If it did exist, it was definitely not in our, in, in our viewpoint. But we used to generate, off the traffic we got, we used to generate probably about five or $6,000 a month, which is substantial you know, we're, both, we're all living at home anyway. So, you know, I was already making money as an editor. So this was just like a side hustle. The problem was that our server bill was about five or $6,000 a month. So we ended up, it was just years ago before it became so affordable. So, but I knew because of my experience between banner clicks and affiliate programs, like my, my Amazon affiliate account goes back to the 90s. That's how old, my affiliate program goes. So we were able to make money with, with online business. I knew that that was a possibility. Fast forward to 2014, 2015, when I'm thinking about launching Indie Film Hustle, it has been so long since I, and by the way, in 2005, I also made a lot of money online selling my DVD of my first short film, Broken, which Which we're going to talk about for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So we, which we made a lot of money there too. So in 2005, I, I was making money online, not only from my film, but also from affiliates and other things like that. Fast forward to 2015, I'm still, I'm like, ah, can I, I don't know if I can make any money with this. Like I was still the fear because the fear had gotten a hold of me to the point where like, I don't know, man, you might fail. The tiger might eat you. And I my mine's wasn't the ninety seven dollars. I said, you know what? I just read this book, and I think it was called The, Mir- the Miracle Morning, and uh, which is a great book. And I was like, you know what? Let me just create it. I have the Amazon account. Let me open up my Amazon account affiliate account. I'm gonna just put an affiliate link in my Facebook feed, my personal Facebook feed. And I'm go, hey guys, I I read this book. You guys should probably check it out. And I just put it to my to my personal friends. And the next day. I checked and someone had bought it and I made like 17 cents or 27 cents or whatever, whatever it was. But for whatever reason, that was the catalyst that broke me through the fear because it says, if I can make 27 cents, I can make $270,000. I can make $2.7 million because that's the potential that, that lives there. So that's what, that would actually broke me through um, to, to break to break through that, that fear that I had. I'm oh, sorry, I just had to say that story. No, that but
0: I, I loved how uh, we went from the $97 to the 17 cents.
1: Right. right? But, and, it's, but, it's it, the,
0: but it's the exact same thing emotionally. It doesn't matter what the number is. Emotionally, you had the exact same transition that I did from, wait, this is doable.
1: And it was scary because you hadn't done this before. I'd no. done it twice before, been successful twice before, and yet I was still scared. And yet I was still
0: scared. So that's how powerful fear is. Mm -hmm. I had never done anything like this. Uh, In 2014, when I started the blog and the podcast and the website, I had no idea how to build a website. I didn't know how to accept payments. I didn't even know what, if you had said, oh, we'll set up an affiliate account with Amazon. What does that mean? No concept of what any of this stuff was. But as soon as I realized that there was knowledge that I had that somebody found value in that wasn't editing, my entire life changed. And now I want to go back to your short film in 2005, because right now everybody's thinking the same thing they've thought for millennia. Well, you can't make money on short films. So either I have to make a feature film that's going to make me a bunch of money, or I invest in a short film that becomes my calling card and it goes on my resume and my reel, but there's no possible way I could generate revenue with that. That's crazy, right?
1: Well, I, I would, I disagree because I generated over $100,000 with my, my short film. Now with that said, that same short film being released today would not generate $100,000 because it was of its time. Just like if El Mariachi showed up today, no one would even care. If Clark showed up today, you would have never heard of Kevin Smith. It's just a product of its time. So I made a movie called Broken, which was a 20 minute, about 20 minute uh, action thriller uh, film that had about 100 visual effects in it, shot on the, and here we go, Wikipedia, shot on the DVX 100A mini DV camera, edited in Final Cut Pro 4, and the visual effects done in Shake. Now, at the time, nobody had ever shot anything substantial with that camera. Though anyone who's ever shot with the camera re- remembers it was so beautiful. It was just such a wonderfully beautiful image, and uh, I wanted to create something with using off the off the shelf. Uh, technology and and software packages and things and by at that point in my career by the way I'd shot thirty five I'd been a commercial director, uh, but I didn't have the re- I didn't have the cash to, to throw another seventy five thousand dollars to make this short film which is what it would have cost in film, so I shot it all in that and when I when I was done with it I realized like oh, who's going to pay me for this like I've I've invested you know eight grand in this thing who's going to pay me for this short film. I'm like nobody in the in the real world is going to pay me for this. Like no one, there's no stars in it. It's, I have I'm nobody. Uh, you know, it was shot in West Palm Beach, Florida. It's not you know, it's cool, but no one's going to pay me for this. So then I and then I, again, this is all instinctual, all instinctual. I wish I, I could say, oh, I read this book or I heard this guy. It was extremely instinctual because no one had done this before, to my knowledge, or hasn't done it at, at a level that I did which was I'm like, well, you know what? I, I see that there's a, a, a market out there for this. Normal, normal people might not pay for this, but filmmakers might pay to see how I made it using software and cameras that they can afford. Because El Mariachi had the 10-minute film school and also TV, all those wonderful behind the scenes. That's great. And Robert's awesome. But I'm going, Robert, brother, you know, you're rolling seven, 10 million deep, man. I, I'm, you know, I'm not rolling that. So it's great that you're telling me that you shot with the Steadicam and how you did it. I can't afford that. So I, I, And I noticed at the time there was nothing online showing filmmakers how to make films. I know that's so hard to believe but yeah, in 2005, especially 2005 YouTube was just launched in 2005 I I think and I and I hope I don't know if I'm right or not but I think I have the first filmmaking tutorials on YouTube because they're still up there and and they and they I think they're what I think they're 15 16 years old at this point uh so I said there's a there's a place for this, so I made a DVD with special edition, like about four hours of special edition material. I just jammed whatever I could into the DVD, and uh, and sold it. And I went and I hustled it online. I went to every uh, I went. I was huge on MySpace. Again,
0: there's another. Uh, I'm going to need uh, an archival researcher just to go through and find all <laughs> the mean My goodness.
1: So I was, I was huge on MySpace, which was the Facebook of its day. And I was able to sell a lot of DVDs, hitting, targeting, uh, I don't know if they had groups, but people who are interested in filmmaking. And then uh, forums, message boards, things like that. And I, you couldn't go in 2005 and 2006, you couldn't go to any message board anywhere on the, in the world that talked about film and that had not had me personally there or someone talking about this short film in the trailer that I put together and all that kind of stuff. It was, I still get, I, was, I literally was talking to a CEO of a company the other day on my show and he's like, dude, I, I bought Broken. <laughs> and I'm like, are you kidding me? And he's like, yeah, I, I, it was awesome. And it was like, I, and I'm a fan and all this stuff. I'm like, oh my God, that little $8,000, talk about ROI that I'm still making, not only money from that kind of you know people connections and things like that, but I still make money selling it. Not the DVD, but I've incorporated it into online courses and things like that. So I still generate some money off of that every, every month. It's pretty remarkable. Now, if you were going to do a short film today and try to make money, the key is a niche. If you can focus on a niche audience, the, most, the more specific, the better. You know, I, I, saw, I have a filmmaker uh, that I know that made uh, an epileptic, uh, epilepsy short film about the, tr- the real realities of, of dealing with epilepsy. Beautifully done. Beautifully done. And he's using the film entrepreneur method. He called me up. He's like, hey, you know, I'd love to kind of talk to you all this stuff. Sure. He's using the film entrepreneur method and he's building out like revenue streams to not only help himself but help the, epile- the epilepsy community, uh, which is amazing. But that, if you take the 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 niche concept, which is epilepsy, and just made it a, a standard, you know, film, it doesn't go anywhere. But because of that niche, um, there there's other filmmakers I know who do uh, that uh, that have delved into the autistic community. Um, they're very passionate about. A good representation of people with autism, uh, funny representations or just honest representations. It's a, it's a lacking market, meaning that there's not a lot of content for that market. So I use in my book, The Vegan Chef. Um, and instead of making a romantic comedy, you make a vegan chef uh, romantic comedy where a vegan chef meets a barbecue pit champion and all hell breaks loose. I'm still waiting for someone to make it. I still believe that people are afraid that I'm going to sue them. Um, <laughs> I'm not. I am not. I just let me know. I want to be involved and somehow I would like to check, check that out. But um, that kind of Builds uh, has a built-in audience because you can go after vegans, you can t- you can go after uh, vegetarians, you can go after paleo people, you can go after plant-based people, you can go after barbecue people. Like there's so many different avenues that you can go and tailor a business around um, for this film, and then off of that you can then build online courses about how to how to uh, do vegan cooking. I mean, if you're interested in a vegan cooking romantic comedy, there uh, there might be a chance, maybe. That one percent that you talked about might want to pay ninety seven bucks to have a vegan chef teach you how to make vegan cuisine, or could you ha- could you also build out a service that teaches you how to transition from meat eating to uh, to uh, being plant based uh, have consulting uh, have a consulting business could you create product lines could you create a magazine could you create cookbooks could you create uh, actual food products with your brand on it, everything i 'm saying by the way, I have examples of all of this in my book case studies it 's all doable and it 's all very very powerful. Now, could you do this with a short film? Absolutely on a much smaller scale i don 't think that a that a short film is going to get you a multimillion dollar deal. I might be wrong i haven 't seen anything like that. The only one that i 've seen something like that happen with was Kung Fury, which was uh, if you if you if you i 'm sure he'll leave a link in the in the show notes. Uh, Kung Fury was a short film that was crowdfunded, which is basically an homage to 80s, like really bad 80s action movies. And it's wonderfully done. And it was done, I think, in the Netherlands somewhere. I don't know where. It's like it's not even a US-based filmmaker. It's like the Netherlands somewhere. And it's fantastic. It's wonderful. And uh, he just is shooting the feature, the multi-million dollar feature film version of that that has Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. (laughs) So... It's all about also what your end game is with the short film. Is your end game to make money or is the end game to move your career forward or can it be both? Can you make a little bit of money while moving your career forward? You know, so these are questions you have to ask, but is it possible to make money with a short film? Absolutely. You just have to execute and think about things completely different than they've been ever taught to you before. This stuff is not taught in film schools. They don't care about this. In film schools, they don't teach you how to make money. They just teach you how to make an art.
0: They're an art school. They don't well, teach you the They business. focus on the show. They don't focus on the business.
1: And if they, and then they give lip service to the business. They're like, oh, we'll teach you about distribution. Who will give you this course on distribution? Yeah, you mean your stuff, you're giving me textbooks from 1997? Oh, okay, yeah. That's not really gonna help me today. So yeah, they, they might give lip service to the business, but the reality is that their main focus, the sizzle is, is what they sell. They don't sell the steak. They sell the sizzle. And and when you're done, there is no steak um, involved. So you have to understand the business side of filmmaking if you're going to make it in the business at all.
0: Well, all I wish right now is that I had a time machine. And I would love to go back to about 2014 when I was just finishing up my documentary <laughs> film, which was a seven-year passion project at the time. And right. we talked about this beforehand, where in the the first couple of chapters of your book, it's here are all the case studies of all the things that people have done in the past and all the mistakes that they've made. It was just like me checking all the boxes. Yep, did that. Yep, did that. hmm did that too. <laughs> to this day, minus one tiny ancillary source of revenue, which made no money whatsoever, But looking at this model in hindsight, there are so many different things that I could have done because I had a niche film. So I'm not going to go too deep into it, but it was a a, a full length documentary feature that was biographical and inspirational in nature about the first quadriplegic to become a licensed scuba diver. Looking at your model, I could have completely capitalized so well, I could have capitalized off all this, but my focus was I tried to get it into all of the festivals and I got into some fairly decent tier two and tier three. I got really close on a couple of tier ones where I got personal letters from like the head of Sundance and Tribeca and Toronto, all saying the same thing. This is one of the most heartwarming films. I really, really enjoyed it. You can tell it wasn't just a form letter. They actually watched the film and they're like, it just, it doesn't fit into this year's programming, but God, I wish it did. Cause I loved your film. I'm like, that's great. That does nothing for me. So then my next focus, once I didn't get all the laurel leaves for all the festivals, well, I got to get it onto a distribution platform or I know, how about all of them? Because somebody just promised to me, I can be on iTunes and Amazon and Hulu and Xbox 360 and the PlayStation market. Like, that's amazing. And it was on every single one of those platforms and nobody knew it was there because nobody focused on marketing. So I went through the whole system coming out with nothing. And if I'd gone backwards, had I used the film entrepreneur method, I would have found what are those smaller message groups? Where are they in Facebook? Or where where do these people congregate? And how can I provide value to them first and thus create some form of revenue in return even if I don't make $5 million off of it? Again, going back to this concept of I need to bring in just enough to alleviate the fear that this is too hard for me to keep going. And I just eventually said, you know what? This didn't work. I'm just going to put this on the shelf and I'm going to move on. But had I generated just enough revenue, it would have alleviated the fear. And I would have said, you know what? I can't keep doing this. And that's what the online business does now. But I think that's really the key for somebody is if they want to make this transition, it needs to be just enough that I can alleviate the fear and realize this will work if I continue to hustle and put in the effort.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I know I know filmmakers who are doing you know, five or six documentaries a year, like really kind of just spitting them out because they know that, and they have like maybe 20 films under their belt. But each one of them is, if each one of them is generating a thousand bucks a month, even in a traditional standpoint, um, well, that's, that's a good amount of money every, every month. It's not about getting rich. It's about like, what, what's, what's my overhead? What, what do I need to make to do this full time? That's the question you have to ask. Not about like, how am I going to make a million dollars? That's not the question you need to ask. Question is, how am I going to make the $56,000 a year that I'm making now as an editor in Kansas? You know, like how, how do I do that? And if I can make $50,000 a year doing online business or doing movies or being a creator, or doing other things, well then man, that's the dream. And then you could build off of that and you can build a, a business and you could do more with that. But but that's where I think so many filmmakers fail because they they only are looking at the biggest possible, I'm going to make a million dollars a year. I'm going to like live rich. No, man, like what is the bare minimum you need for this movie to make or for these projects or this business to make so you don't have to do anything else? And that's the key.
0: Yeah, I think that, uh, like you said, people are asking themselves the wrong question. And the question that I asked myself that led to this transition was, can I earn the same amount of money that I am as an editor right now, without working 60 plus hours a week? Can I, can I earn that? So it wasn't, how can I make $5 million and be this huge, amazing online entrepreneur? But is it even remotely possible that I could generate enough income that it replaces what I was doing as an editor, but I have room to do other things? Because I could continue to be an editor and be a craftsman and make a lot of money, but it's the only thing that I can do because it consumes every waking hour. Going back to this idea of, oh, well, I can't do all this stuff because they don't have the time. Well, first of all, my response is It'll open up your phone. Okay, go to the calendar app. There's your time, it's right there. You've got the same 24 hours and seven days as me. Time is right there, right in front of you, but you keep thinking you're gonna find it instead of prioritizing it. And I figured if my time is of the most value possible, how can I get more of it by making the same amount of money in less time. Those were the questions that I was asking. How do I structure my day and structure the business and all these things so I have more time to pursue the things that I love? Because ultimately- it's just going to lead to burnout. I mean, that's, that's really kind of the foundation of where it all leads for people that listen to this program is how do I just stop the vicious cycle of being burned out by not liking what I do because I'm doing it so much, but it doesn't connect to the stories that I really want to tell.
1: So the one thing, I, and, and I know you know this because you've been an editor for uh, as, as long as I have or close to as long as I you have and I And I don't mean to be mean, but we've all been in edit suites where we see the 65-year-old editor who's been doing it forever. He's the online editor. He's been there like that. And you could just see that he's really just not happy. He's a bitter editor because he's just like, oh, I've done this before. And, I, and I've been in multiple you know, places like that throughout my career where I've seen that guy. And uh, generally, and I know this is a big topic with you, he's out of shape, he's not healthy, all that kind of stuff. He's the, the stereotypical editor. You have to ask yourself the question, in twenty years, do you want to keep doing this? Because if the answer is no, then you better figure some stuff out. Period, because like I can see myself doing this in twenty years or a version of this in twenty years. I, I love doing this. You know it can it can morph, it can transform, but being of service, building a business online, growing multiple businesses online, in every which way. I won't be exactly doing what I'm doing right now, but could I, you know, like could I be doing what Tony Robbins is doing, you know, but not as a self-help guru, but you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Could I see myself as an editor editing other people's work that I don't like 20 years from now? I barely was able to do it two years ago. I was just like, oh God, I can't. I just can't. I can't anymore. I can't deal with this stupidity. Um, You know, that's the question you need to ask yourself. And if you, if the answer is no, I'm gonna, I'm going steal this from Steve Jobs. It's like if you look in the mirror and you wake up in the morning and it's like if you're not happy with what you're doing, then it's time for a change. That is the same thing, and it's scary, but you have to do it. If not, you're gonna become that angry and bitter. Whatever you're, insert your profession here situation.
0: So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that last little bit. I'm going to take it and put it at the end of every single one of my podcasts going forward. So I'm just, I'm just going to need you to <laughs> sure. sign a release for me. Sure, not a problem um, at all. <laughs> bam, like nailed it. That's, that's why I'm here. That's why I too love what I'm doing so much more is that I can empower people to pursue the careers and the passions that drive them as opposed to, I'm just a technician, I'm here to serve your vision, but not really create my own visions. And I, I, there's nothing wrong with being the person that serves other people's visions unless you've decided you don't wanna do it anymore and I want you to have options. And that's why I bring experts like you on the show. So on that note, I would love to know if somebody has been inspired by this today and they're like, I hear this guy's got resources. I hear this guy has, <laughs> has a thing or two. I, he's got a couple of episodes of a podcast or maybe 400 episodes across three different podcasts and he has 18 different courses and he's got multiple books. How do people find you? Um, I'm not hard to find, uh, no, you are not, yeah, but it's, I, for some reason I didn't find you for six years, but I'm going to, I'm going to shorten everybody else's learning curve. So how do people, um, they get started?
1: So if, um, I'll, 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 list only a handful of the things that I've got, but the, the, the main hub is Indie Film Hustle. So if you go to IndieFilmHustle.com, that'll, uh, take you to, uh, the majority of my filmmaking resources, whether that be courses, uh, podcasts, blog posts, all a lot of free, a lot, a lot of free, like 99% of the stuff I do is free. Uh, then I, if you're into screenwriting, I have uh, the Bulletproof Screenwriter, uh, writing uh, podcast, as well as a website, bulletproofscreenwriting.tv. Um, if you want to go deeper down the rabbit hole of being a film entrepreneur, I have Um Or I think it's um film. I think I, I think film business, I think filmbusiness.com takes you there as well. I, I, I got one of those little quick hacks. Um, and then uh, if you want to go deeper into more of the, my courses, I have ifhacademy.com, which is my premium courses channel uh, uh, platform, which has a lot of high-end courses, takes a little bit higher-end stuff that, that I do. And then if you want to just kind of dip your toe in, uh, I have the world's first uh, filmmaking and stream, uh, screenwriting streaming service, which is like Netflix for um for filmmakers and that's at uh indiefilmhustle.tv or ifhtv.com and of course my books uh i have shooting for the mob which we didn't even talk about shooting for the mob uh how i almost made a 20 million dollar movie for the mafia and then toured hollywood so there's that book and then the rise of the film entrepreneur and my new books as well and you can find those on amazon I, i i audiobooks audible all that kind of stuff those are the the big main things that I can think of I'm sure there's a thousand other things in there as well but those are the main things and of course alexferrari.com if you just want to reach out to me I do consulting coaching uh, other things like that in the distribution space and in the online space as well
0: so that's it no, there's
1: more. I'm just that, trying to- that, that, I'm just That's, trying, all, that's I'm, all you have, really? No, I'm, being, the- I'm, ch- I'm just trying to be kind to you and <laughs> your, your listeners so I don't just list everything. I'm ridiculous, sir. I'm ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I am ridiculous.
0: Yeah, I'm right there with you. I didn't want to have to say it, but I'm glad that you, you said it. Like I said, I feel really good about what I've been able to accomplish. And then I found you. And now I just like, really, this is all I've been able to do in the last several years? Like, who is this guy? This is just not even a, this is not even fair. <laughs> uh, but on that note, dear God, I have so much fun doing this. Like we're we're gonna yeah, have to do, we're gonna have to do more of this because I, I I love the chats we've had together so far. Um, yeah. I know that you're you're gonna have uh, some good stuff coming out next year. I think we're gonna have you back on the show to talk about that. Yeah, um, but this this is a, this has been a good time. So I really appreciate you taking whatever time. You have found on your calendar amidst all of the other uh, ventures to, to chat with me today. It means a lot to me. So thank you.
1: Oh, no, thank you, man. I appreciate you, uh, you coming on. I, I, I feel like we're kindred spirits, to say the least, uh, in, in, in what we do. And it's, it's not easy to find other people in our space who actually understand it and get it. Most of the people who are doing what we do don't get it. Um, and they don't understand uh, the business side of things. You know, that's what look like, a lot of oh, podcasters and things like that. um so i'm really I'm really glad that uh, we were able to find each other, man. So thank you and thank you for doing the good work you're doing with your audience.
0: Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show.